What do we do in everyday life when God says, I'm going to promise you this, but you won't even be a part of it? How do you respond? What is your heart posture like? <laughs> what does your heart posture like when, he's, when he tells you you're going to have a ministry, but you're going to have nothing to do with that ministry? You will not have any words. You will not have any say-so within that ministry. This is something that God has been humiliating me. Not, I'm sorry, not humiliating me. He has been humbling me throughout this process. Not humi- I have not been humiliated. Okay, from time to time, I may have been humiliated, but it's all a part of the humbling process. But it would just seem right, you know, in our own logic that we would be able to to, to fulfill the promise. You know, it would be on our own for us to go into the promised land, for us to be, you know, high and mighty and glorified and seen, you know, God, you use me to do all the hard and dirty work. Why don't I get to be glorified? Why don't I be, get to be in the end rejoicing with everybody else? Because that's not what I called you to. That's not what I called you to. I called you to wash your, serv- to wash your people's feet. But I didn't ask you to sit here on the podium glorifying yourself, looking all high and mighty. We're not here to glorify each other. We're here to glorify God. That is what our job is for. And I'm learning this throughout the time that I was in Kansas City playing basketball. You know, some of you may have not known, but we had a pretty successful season this year, and we ended up winning the championship. You're clapping, you're clapping, but the whole time, it does not feel like we're winning a championship at all, to me at least. Being real, on the flight back, I'm sitting in my seat. We've won the championship. You know, I thought I would have all the emotions of a champion. You know, I'm happy, man. You know, like, y'all can't talk to me. I'm in the airport. You know, I'm carrying around the trophy. I'm feeling good. You know, I'm on my Michael Jordan status. I don't won the championship, but on the way back, Pastor Money likes to make fun of me, but I did catch a cold on the way back last week, and it just, it wrecked me because I'm sitting in this whole row by myself, just thinking like, why, why, why can I not feel the glory that I should feel when it, when, when it comes to a championship, and Wise Cam just decides to sit in front of his 6'7 teammate who needs, you know, more room than three donkeys put together. And I can't even lean my seat back. So he's near me in the back of my seat just messing with me. You know how brothers do. And I'm sitting up here dog sick, trying to relax, trying to enjoy myself. But this is not happening. He's near me in the back keeping me up. And I'm laying my head against the side of the plane. And as soon as he starts shaking my seat, I feel my head get caught. And a vision started. And God shows me this vision of my neck getting caught and my neck breaking and me not being able to feel my legs from the waist down. In this vision, I turn around and I cuss him out in front of the whole plane. Just being the truth, just telling the truth. I cuss him out in front of the whole plane. Everyone hears me. 
And as I'm doing this, in this vision, God is just showing me my heart posture in this current moment. If, if that would have actually happened, how I would have, have reacted. The vision jumps to me being on this stage where I would be today, sitting in a wheelchair, telling this exact same story. He's in the building. He's sitting somewhere. And as I'm preaching about this very message, I'm speaking on the incident that happened on the plane. And I'm just telling him, hey, you took everything from me. I can't walk. I can't work out. I can't even play with the future kids that I'm going to have. Like, I can't do anything fun that I, used to, that I used to be able to do. I can't enjoy life anymore. But flashback forward, I mean, sorry, flashback a week before, I'm reading the book of Job. And as soon as I said, you took everything away from me, he spoke the word Job in my ear. I was reading Job. The, we were at, me and my teammate read Job from beginning to end the whole time we were in Kansas City. Don't know why until that very moment. When I'm sitting on this stage in a wheelchair, legs are broken, I'm crying in front of everybody and yelling at this one person who didn't mean to do what he did. Hurt, distraught, but angry, pent up. And God is just showing me, even though you've won a championship, even though you've, you were able to pray with the refs and, and pray for all the families and the teammates, you need Jesus just as much as everyone that you prayed for on that team. He was humbling me on this plane. I had a real encounter with him on the way back. I would like to look the, at the second side of humility that we're going to talk about today in Job 42. As I was reading this whole book of Job, you know, I honestly didn't know why I was reading it. My teammates said, you know, let's, let's read the book of Job. I was like, bro, do you know that's 42 chapters? We only here for a week and a half. Like, that's a lot. But being obedient, we went through it. And it was very interesting because we got to times where coaches and players would stop by and, they, you know, they would congratulate us on our, our dedication, on our devotion in the morning and, I didn't truly know what was ahead for me as we're doing this. But one particular day, we're reading, and the referees stop by with us, and they say, hey, can we join y'all? I was honestly astounded, but I was very grateful that they wanted to be a part of it. And as we're reading through it, they give me a very interesting point of view on it, something I never even thought about. They were, they were telling me how... Job's humility was the catalyst for him being able to receive what he received in the end. Let's dive into this because this is going to be very important. Job 42 and 7 says, After the Lord has spoke these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, My anger is stirred up against you and your two friends because you have not spoken about me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourself. And my servant Job will intercede for you and I will respect him so that I do not deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken about me, me what is right as my servant Job has. This is very key. 
Because in a process of humility, you have to be very careful of who you are letting speak into your life. Your community is so important. This is why we stress community here. This is why we stress trusting, relying, and obeying here. Because what you are listening to every single day has an effect in your life. Your music, your friend groups, the things you watch, your Netflix shows, it all plays a part. There's no such thing as, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to turn up on a, on a Thursday, Friday, but on Sunday we're going to get right and we're going to feel good. You're going you're gonna to experience some muck from the decisions that you chose on Thursday and Friday. Your community needs to be strong. You can't be the strongest one in your community. You need to surround yourself around stronger believers so that they can speak into your life. Sadly, this was Job's situation. Job knew the character of God. Job had a relationship with God. And I even went as far as breaking it down in his relationship throughout this whole dialogue into separating this into relationship versus religion. His friends had a very religious view of God. They were trying to tell him the whole time, bro, you had to do something wrong. Like, look all the stuff that happened to you. You lost everything. You lost your, your kids. You lost all your cattle. You lost, your, your, you lost everything. You have nothing. Surely you must have done something wrong because according to the God that we know, if you did something wrong, he's going to take it from you. Only a bad person should deserve what has happened to you. But that is not the truth. Job never cursed God, not once, not in a time of the worst situation of his whole life, Job never cursed him, not once, because Job had a relationship with him. Job was humble. Job respect and revered God. Three things that you must need in your relationship with God. You must revere him. If you do not revere God, you cannot be humble. If you are not humble, you definitely won't obey him. Let's continue to move on. Verse 9, so they went to Eliphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, and did just as the Lord had told them. The Lord had respected for, wait, I'm sorry. The Lord had respect for Job. So the Lord restored what Job had lost after he prayed for his friends. And the Lord doubled all that he had belonged to Job. I'm not about to preach a, a prosperity doctrine saying, like, if you lose anything, you know, God's going to come back tenfold and, you know, restore your whole life. Because I truly don't know what God has for your life, especially in a time of humility. If God, let's, let's mash this together. Moses had a speech impediment. Moses thought he was nothing, his pride. He was, he was living off of his pride. He did not believe Jesus, his creator, would give him the strength, would, would equip him to be able to lead the Israelites. But Moses was brought to the top. Not because of who Moses was, not because Moses was equipped, not because Moses was better, but because God chose him. On the other hand, we have Job. Job was prosperous. Job had all the money. Job even had legacy. He had many kids. If you would look at it through today's society, Job, Job was a millionaire. Job, Job was rich, rich, rich. He had everything that in today's society we would want. 
Job was at the top and lost everything. Humility was brought both ways. Humility is not just a lesson we learn when we fall on our face or when God is trying to teach us in a hard situation. Humility can be taught on the way up. Your pride is not something that you just have when you stick out your chest and you feel better than others. If you question God, why me? That's your pride. If you say, I'm not enough, that's your pride. Don't let your pride get in the way of what Jesus is trying to do. Be humble. Surround yourselves with a community that is going to lift you up in meekness, in boldness, but also in humility, allowing you to walk on the path that Jesus is setting before you. Let's continue. Verse 10. I'm sorry. We'll read it again. Verse 10. So the Lord restored what Job had lost after he prayed for his friends. And the Lord doubled all that had belonged to Job. So they came to him, all his brothers and sisters, and all he knew before him. And they dined with him in the house. They comforted him and consoled him for all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one of him gave a piece of silver and a gold ring. So the Lord had blessed the second part of Job's life. More than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he had also, he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Huppock. Huppock. <laughs> Nowhere in all the land could women be found who were as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their, fathers, and their father granted them an inheritance alongside their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And Job died old and full of his days. Both of these stories are very interesting. Because when I learned that God was teaching humility and wisdom within both of them, it hit me. I didn't believe that you could learn humility on the way top, on the way up. I didn't. Moses was probably humbled more than Job was. On the surface, it wouldn't seem so. Just because Job lost everything, it would seem as Job was humbled. Humble beginnings, you know, I got to start from the, got to start from the bottom, got to start from the beginning, I got nothing. Let me grind my way out. But in all actuality, I think it's more of a lesson that Moses, who was brought from what you would think is nothing, to the mountaintop, to not even getting off of that mountaintop into the promised land. God is calling this church to some very deep places. And I don't know where we're going. As we learned today, the wind does what the wind does. 
I can't promise that God's going to take all of us. I can't promise that it's going to be easy, that it's going to be glamorous, and that you may be a part of the whole thing. But what I will say is that Jesus has a plan for you. And whether your plan or your part of the plan is on the stage, behind the camera, cleaning the bathroom, serving in kids, there's a purpose within it all. Not just to be seen, not just to receive glory. but to make a difference in someone, else, someone else's life. That's something that I learned being in Kansas City. Yeah, it would have been perfect for me to be behind the cameras, being interviewed after the game, being the guy all on TV, cameras face everywhere. I would have loved it, you know? Who wouldn't? Just being honest, who wouldn't? Loyola and Cameron Dumas wins championship. It would... You know, it would have been perfect. It would have. In my mind, in my mind, it would have been perfect. It would have been perfect. I would have had a caption. I would have probably took a picture like Michael Jordan or Kobe with the trophy. You know how he was sitting on the trophy. You know, everything would have been perfect. But if that happens, I don't think I'm able to stand up here today to teach you about humility. I'm not, up, I'm not able to stand here today to be truthful about my situation, that God stripped an idol of basketball out of me. That I was able to win the championship experienced the highest moment that I ever thought I would as a collegiate athlete and walk off that court satisfied that that was my last game ever. Three years ago, I would have fought God. To this day, I would have fought him. I'd be like, no, it's not over. I'm a pro. I don't care what you're talking about. I'm a pro. I'll, you know, I'd lead a mic. I'd drop the mic. I'd... No, I'm a pro. I'm going to play basketball. That's what I'm called to do. Uh, I'm, I'm just being real. I would have told God, I'm called to play basketball. This, this is what my passions are. This is what I'm passionate about. Don't allow your lust to overshadow the true passion that God is trying to spark in your life. My true passion is seeing people get baptized, 11 people get baptized in one night. That's my true passion. My true passion is getting to know y'all and meeting new faces and building relationships. I didn't get to go, but I would have loved to have been able to have been at the, at, the, at the camping trip. New experiences. I played basketball for 
14, 13 years of my life, yes, I enjoyed it, but I did everything there is to do in basketball. Not trying to gloat, but it runs out. It, nothing runs out with Jesus. Nothing runs out in this community. There's a new experience every day. There's there are fresh graces, new mercies every day with Jesus. That's an experience that you cannot put in a bottle. That is not an experience that you can take in a picture. That is not an experience you can put on a ring after winning a championship. It is never ending with Jesus. And that, that is something I would worship. He is my idol. He is the goat. He is the greatest. He is the greatest. There is nothing else in this world that I would hold on to, that I would cherish more than my relationship with Jesus. Humility. It is never a position that we can stop at. You will constantly be humbled throughout your whole life. The fruits of the Spirit can never be arrived to. You will always be refined. You will always find room to grow. This is the journey that we accept with Jesus Christ. Our sanctification is not a checked box. Our relationship with Jesus is not a trophy. The responsibility we have in this life today is an obligation to reach souls. I want to read what the definition of obligation is. By law, the definition of obligation is a binding agreement committing a person to a payment or other action. Walking this life out with Jesus, being baptized in the spirit and in water, We are obligated by the payment he made on the cross. When he breathed his spirit within inside of us, we were now bought by his precious blood. And there is nothing we can do to earn to work, to pray, 
to conjure. There's nothing we can do to fulfill the sacrifice that he made for us. I'm still walking through the lesson of humility. But when we wrap it around our minds that we need Jesus more than the person sitting next to us, that's when our heart begins to change. That's when our mind begins to change, be renewed each and every day. Because it doesn't matter how many times I come up here and pray or how many food boxes I may serve under the, under the bridge or how many times I give money to the homeless guy who's asking for it on the side of the street. It doesn't matter how many times I do any of that stuff. Every day we are under spiritual warfare. And we need Jesus every day, every moment, every second of our lives. There is not a moment that we can take for granted. Because that one moment when we get complacent, that moment when our pride builds up and says, I'm too tired. I prayed yesterday. My friends are praying for me. The Lord knows my heart. That is when our pride starts to get built up. And the Lord can't trust us with more. Don't we all want more in our life? More Jesus? Commit yourself to humbling and renewing your mind each and every day, allowing Jesus to renew your mind each and every day. That humility, that realization, that desperation for Jesus, you're going to find yourself being filled with his spirit each and every day. you will start to realize that you are not carrying a weight that is not meant for you to be carried. I would like everybody to stand to their feet. I'm going to pray. Jesus, you are expanding us as a community. You are expanding us as individuals. You are expanding your church. But never let us get to the point what we think we've made it, what we've arrived. Never let us take a moment of worship for gratitude. 
Jesus, when we walk in here and we have the mindset of going through the motions, take us back to that first moment when we were crying in desperation, when we may have had the pill bottle in our hand, when we may have had the alcohol bottle in our hand, when we may have been on the side of the ledge, when we may have been on the beach, confused, not knowing what to do, when we may have been high out of our minds, take us back to that moment of desperation, Jesus. A fresh new fire, Jesus. Never take your spirit from us, Jesus. We humbly ask you. Renew our minds. A fresh fire, Jesus. We don't know where it comes from, but allow that wind to blow around, throughout, within all of us. Having humility through our spirits and through our situation. Walk hand in hand with us every day, Jesus. Never let our pride get built up so much that we think we can take life on ourselves. And Jesus, when you begin to elevate us, we will make more room so you can get the increase. Even if we don't make it to the promised land, even if that is not written in our story, we will still worship you, Jesus. If everything is stripped away from us, Jesus, everything we thought made us, if you take away my sports, if you take away the money, if you take away the clothes, if you take it all away, we will never curse your name, Jesus. But we will glorify you. Because worthy is your name. Jesus, worthy is your name. What have we gone through that is equivalent to you sacrificing yourself on the cross? What humiliation have we gone through that is anywhere near the humiliation that they tried to put upon you? 
Woe to us, Jesus. Woe to us. They looked you in the eye, their own creator, and said you weren't it. Jesus, we repent. We repent for the times where you were moving and we did not receive you. We repent for the times you extended your hand and we shut the door in your face. Jesus, we'll never be enough, but you are always enough. 